The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. David Vendrunen. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. We're going to look at Genesis 20 this morning. This is uh, as we're looking at some of these narrative texts in Genesis on Thursdays this semester. This is a, a text that has been of, uh, has, I've thought is a, a very interesting text for a long time, particularly because of my interest in Christianity and culture issues. And just want to say this is, uh, I, I don't look at morning devotions as necessarily uh, attempts to model a Christ-centered, redemptive historical sermon as you would give it on the Lord's Day. All right, this is a devotional. Uh, this is not how I would preach this uh, in church. I just want to say that in case some of you are looking to this as the model for how to preach it. Just, this is a devotional uh, message. So let me, uh, let me read this text. Hear the word of God from Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech 
because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This ends our reading of God's word. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the apostle tells us some very, uh, very important things about who we are as the people of God. In verses uh, 9 and 10, Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, the apostle writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, very, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, Peter there is picking up uh, a lot of terms and ideas from the Old Testament description of Israel. And it's interesting to think about this in that here Peter is calling the church, calling Christians, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people, and we may wonder exactly how that's true. It's easy to understand how Israel of old was a nation, a race, a people. They were ethnically united, they had a single language, they had their own land in which they lived. But you think about Christians don't share a common ethnic background, don't share a common language, don't have some sort of Land that is our very own uh, as Christians. So it's not immediately obvious how we are a people, how we are a race, how we are uh, a nation. It's only true. Those things are true of us because we are all citizens of a, of, of a kingdom. But it's a heavenly kingdom. It's of a new creation kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not attached to any particular language or land or ethnic group here and now. So we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and in that way we are a people and a race. And if that's the case, then that means we are, we're all away from home in a very important sense. We're not where we really belong, ultimately. And so it makes good sense, if that's true, that Peter goes on to say in the very next verse, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We're sojourners and exiles, but just to focus on sojourners for a moment, what is, what is a sojourner? A sojourner is a person who, uh, who's away from home, who's, who's traveling, who's maybe wandering. This is actually why I picked the hymn that I did. Uh, just for the very last, it's a nice hymn for other reasons, but the very last phrase, till traveling days are done. I've always thought that's a nice expression. Um, every one of us, uh, we're in the midst of traveling days. And you may not have any plans to get on an airplane anytime soon, but we're all traveling as Christians because we're all sojourners. We're all away from home. And so in some very important sense, we're all travelers right now. And so... Uh, here, uh, we are sojourners. We are a people, we are a race, a nation, but we're sojourners. So why am I saying all this since I'm talking about Genesis 20? Well, that's because in Scripture, who is the sojourner? Well, it's Abraham. When Peter calls us sojourners, uh, surely he's thinking, he wants us to think back to Abraham. Abraham is called a sojourner 
many times in Genesis, as were uh, Isaac and uh, uh, the, the rest of those uh, descendants. So when we think about our, our identity as sojourners, it's good for us to think about Abraham and his experience. And we know that there are many differences between us now and Abraham and his household, but also some important similarities in our experience. Abraham was a sojourner. He never really settled. He never really had a permanent home uh, in this world. And that's something that's uh, very relevant for us to consider. And so I just want to offer some reflections on Genesis 20 in that light. What, what do we see in this incident from Abraham's sojourning? And his sojourning is very much before us. He's, he's, he's journeying towards a new place. Uh, and certain things happen. Well, one of the things that sticks out that really uh, catches our attention in this particular incident from Abraham's life is that Abraham, the man of God, the man of faith, the man with whom God has entered this covenant, comes off looking a lot worse than this king, this pagan king, this Gentile king, this king who was not in any special covenant relationship with God. And that's not really what we would expect. It may be a little bit disappointing to us to see Abraham looking so much worse than Abimelech. Yet, consider how it's true. Uh, think about a few things that, uh, that, uh, that we learn about Abraham, that Abraham does here. First of all, we see that Abraham is not really trusting in the Lord very well, is he? He was a man of faith. Genesis 15, 6, he believed the promises of God and it was accounted him as righteousness. And yet here he is trying to take matters in his own hands. We know he did this on many uh, occasions in one way or another. Here he goes into the city and he tells the people that his wife is his sister. Uh, he's trying to protect himself. Obviously not entirely sure that the Lord is going to take care of him if he just is upfront and does what he ought to do. So that's one thing that we notice. Another thing we notice here is that Abraham, he badly misjudges the people of the city of Gerar. And this may be hard to know just how critical to be of Abraham at this point. We don't know how much information he had. But one way or another, he misjudges them. And it is not good if we misjudge people. It's not good if we have a bad opinion about someone that's unjustified. And this is what Abraham does here. Right, when he's asked later by Abimelech, why, why, why'd you do these things? And he said, I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. And he was wrong. There was a certain fear of God. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, but he made a misjudgment, uh, a serious misjudgment about these people into whose lands he was coming. And finally, certainly not least, uh, Abraham commits a serious wrong, serious offense to both his wife, Sarah, and to Abimelech. And he gives, he ends up giving his wife to another man. Another man takes his wife into his house. Abraham uh, is doing wrong to multiple people uh, here. So Abraham is not... Abraham's not conducting himself very well on multiple fronts, but then consider Abimelech in contrast. 
One thing that we uh, see with Abimelech that uh, you see that God appears to him in a dream. God speaks to him uh, in a dream. And how does Abimelech respond? He gives the most careful attention. He, he doesn't argue with God. He doesn't protest. I mean, he does try to defend himself, at, at which he has a legitimate point. But he takes God's word very seriously, and he does something about it. He ends up getting up early in the morning to go and to, and, and to remedy it. Abraham had said, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. Abimelech displays a kind of a fear of God. He may not be a true believer. We really don't know Abimelech's spiritual state. We're not told that he is a true believer, but he shows a certain respect and certain honor of the true and living God. So that's impressive. Another thing that we see is that Abimelech, when he gets up early in the morning, he calls Abraham to himself and he gives Abraham a trial. He doesn't just call his army and go out to slaughter Abraham. He actually gives him a trial. There's all sorts of judicial language here. Uh, it is the language of a courtroom. It's as if Abimelech is calling his court into session. And you notice he brings a charge against Abraham, but he gives Abraham opportunity to respond, to defend himself. And so you can't help but be somewhat impressed that Abimelech actually calls a court of justice and lets the accused defend himself. And then another thing that we notice, a final thing about Abimelech here, is that he says to Abraham in verse 9, you have done to me things that ought not to be done. And just note here, Abimelech, he recognizes that there are, that there is an objective morality, you might say. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. You will note earlier when, when God spoke to him, God didn't say to him, hey, Abimelech, uh, it's immoral for you to take another man's wife into your house. What he does is he informs Abimelech, that woman you took into your house, that's someone else's wife. As soon as Abimelech learns that, he says, whoa, I, he knows, he doesn't need to be told that. Right. The way Abimelech looks at it, there are things that ought not to be done. You don't give your wife to other people, telling them that, yeah, she's my sister. You just don't do those sorts of things. Abimelech knows that. Abimelech is, I don't want to suggest that Abimelech is a model in every way. Let's not forget he was, seemed to be assembling a harem here, right? Just because he didn't know that Sarah was someone else's wife doesn't mean it was perfectly okay that he took Sarah into his house anyway, right? But we do recognize that Abimelech shows some very noble characteristics here. And he certainly comes off as much more righteous here than Abraham, the man of faith. And so I want to close by offering just a, a, a few a few observations and a few reflections on uh, how we might think about our own traveling days, our own sojourning uh, in this world, in, in lands that are not ultimately our own. And one thing that is important, I believe, for us that we uh, see here uh, that comes out of this text 
Of course, we need to be very vigilant about the evil, the evils in this world, the evils that are around us. And, you know, in 1 Peter, I, I just mentioned, I didn't emphasize this, but in 1 Peter 2.11 and 12, Peter says he urges us as sojourners to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So we have to be vigilant about our own conduct in the midst of this broader world that doesn't share our faith. Right, we need to strive for holiness, as he says elsewhere. But it's important for us that that does not translate into some sort of simplistic thinking, as that we Christians are in the right, we Christians are pure, and everyone else is in the wrong. We need to have a much more nuanced view of this world in which we live. We need to have a nuanced view uh, of unbelievers. We don't evaluate them all in the same way. You, know, you remember the story that takes place right before Genesis 20. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. That too. <laughs> You see, Abraham should not have evaluated the people of Sodom in the same way he evaluated the people of Gerar. It seems like he's sort of doing that. He's going into Gerar thinking, these people are as bad as those people in Gomorrah. They weren't. And Abraham, he needed to recognize that if he was to live appropriately in that place. We need to have a nuanced view of those among whom we live. We need to recognize that there are unbelievers in this world who have a sense of justice, who treat people decently and well, sometimes in ways that put us as Christians to shame. We need to recognize that and treat them appropriately. And that also indicates that we need to have a real sense of humility amongst ourselves to recognize that sometimes we don't have all the answers. Sometimes the unbelievers, we see unbelievers who have insights, even moral insights that we don't have. Sometimes we recognize that unbelievers excel us. Sometimes they outact us, outbehave us in certain ways. We need to maintain a profound sense of humility as we live in this world as sojourners. And I'll just close by saying we obviously need to live in trust in the Lord as we conduct ourselves uh, here uh, amongst uh, the Gentiles, as, uh, as 1 Peter says. Abraham was a man of faith. It wasn't as if he stopped being a man who believed in the promises of God and was unjustified or something. But Abraham didn't always conduct himself in a way that was consistent with that faith, that trust uh, uh, in God. And as, as Peter goes on to reflect in chapters 2 and 3 of his, uh, uh, the, the first epistle, he reflects on how Christians often suffer in this world. He talks about how we live under civil authorities, we live under sometimes 
uh, under uh, the authority of masters. Uh, uh, wives have to live under, they, they live under husbands, uh, maybe unbelieving husbands. And there's a lot of suffering that takes place in this world. But as Peter emphasizes, we need to, uh, we need to maintain our trust in the Lord, our perseverance in doing what is good. Perhaps I will close by mentioning 1 Peter 4, verse 19. There, Peter says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust yourselves to the Lord. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't use devious ways to try to get by in this world. Let us conduct ourselves with uprightness, with humility, and always entrusting ourselves to the God who will take care of us. Maybe I should have mentioned this, but do you remember from the end of Genesis 20? God was the one who brought Abraham through. It ultimately wasn't Abraham's tricks and scheming that brought him through. God was the one who protected Sarah in the house of Abimelech. God was the one who brought Sarah back to Abraham. Despite all his scheming, it was God who brings deliverance. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made us citizens of your kingdom, your everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that therefore you've made us a people, a nation, a race, even though we come from all over the world and come from different languages and peoples. And Lord, uh, we are grateful for the unity that you have given us as citizens of heaven. But Lord, we do recognize that there are many challenges for us as we sojourn during these traveling days. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would not fall into an attitude of self-reliance, of compromising our holy conduct for the sake of escaping trouble and making our way in this world. We pray that we would entrust ourselves to you, that we would live with humility before outsiders, that we would with wisdom and discernment judge others and know how to act in front of them and how to deal with them day by day. Oh Lord, thank you that even in the midst of our sin and our failings, that you deliver your people, that you've promised never to leave us or forsake us, and that you will protect us. You will protect us even when we face enemies and even when we act foolishly before them. Thank you for that comfort and assurance that you give. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.